Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to deal with the rising cost of inflation to pay off your debt or your mortgage, pretty much anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Well, with Yahoo Finance, you can get access to the news, data, and tools that you need in order to help you reach that financial freedom. And when it comes to your financial future, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, you've invested all that you can. And now you need to take those investments to the next level by using what every financial great uses. Yahoo Finance. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. Well, what a difference a couple of days makes. When I did my last podcast on Thursday, it was following the biggest point drop in one day in the history of the Dow. And today I'm recording my next podcast and we had a 1,293 point rally in the Dow, up just over 5%. That is a record. That is the biggest point gain in one day in the history of the Dow. Percentage-wise, it's not a record, but the last time we were up this much in one day was in March of 2009. And that was when the market was at the absolute low from the bear market that followed the 2008 financial crisis. And the reason that the market rallied was because that was the day the Fed came to the rescue and announced QE1. So that's the last time we saw a 5% move. Now, the S&P and the NASDAQ were not up quite as much, but still 4.5% gains over there. Even the Dow Transports managed to gain today, although not nearly as impressive. Uh, The gain was just under 1%. You know, the transports now were in bear market territory or just about it. Now they're down about 19%, so not quite the 20%. But I do not think the lows are in. You know, bear markets are notorious for having big rallies. And I think that's what this is, as this new bear market is likely sliding a slope of hope. If you look at the bond market, the yields on treasuries did not increase at all with this rally. They stayed near the lows of the day. We closed the 10-year at 1.088. So we set a new record low in yields, high in price for the 10-year you know, the 30-year yield, that closed at one spot, 646%. Again, near the lows of the day, the rally in the Dow did nothing to cause bond yields to rise. In fact, we didn't just go straight up 1,200 points. There was a lot of volatility. You know, the Dow 
was up 500 early on last night, the Dow futures, and then sold off uh, to down like 300 or something like that. And, and then, you know, we had a lot of volatility. In fact, yesterday on Friday, I didn't do a podcast on Friday, but the Dow was down over a thousand points at one point on Friday. That was on top of the record breaking uh, above 1000 point drop on Thursday. But we ended up closing the day with just a 350 point loss. And in fact, today we're about 2000 Dow points above the low from Friday, just between two trading days, Friday afternoon and, and Monday afternoon. But the reason the market rallied back yesterday is pretty much the same reason the market rallied today. And that's central banks. You know, the Federal Reserve came out with an official statement on Friday that even though the fundamentals of the economy were sound and they made sure to go out of their way to point out that everything is great, nothing to worry about, the fundamentals are sound, but just in case they stand ready uh, to use their tools or to do whatever they can to support an economy that doesn't need to be supported, right? So as soon as the markets heard that, that helped ignite the rally. And in fact, we even got another rumor later in the day that the Trump administration was considering some kind of emergency fiscal stimulus to stimulate an economy that doesn't need it because we have the greatest economy in the history of the world, but they're readying emergency fiscal stimulus just in case, right? Although today they kind of backtracked and I think Kudlow and Mnuchin were throwing some cold water on the idea that any fiscal stimulus was coming before the election and they prefer uh, monetary stimulus. Although I was watching this interview on CNBC and I forget the anchor that was talking. She was questioning these guests and she thought, hey, you know, wouldn't it be better if we tried fiscal stimulus? I mean, wouldn't it be better if the government just sent everybody a check for uh, $1,000? I mean, how is that going to do anything, sending out people checks? You know, Bush had those stimulus checks that were put in the mail. That doesn't do anything. You know, if we're going to have a recession because of the coronavirus, if that's what you're thinking is that, hey, it's all the coronavirus because people aren't traveling uh, because of coronavirus and there's going to be a slowdown in production because of the coronavirus, how does this borrowing more money because remember the only way the federal government can send anybody a check is if it borrows more money so it has to take the money out of the economy before it can put it back in right except it has to pay interest on what it takes out and of course where would the money come from well the fed would just monetize a larger deficit so we would create more money in order to send out these so-called stimulus checks but how would those checks do anything i mean people aren't going to suddenly want to travel if they weren't gonna travel just because they have that check doesn't mean they're not gonna care about the coronavirus because they got a check. I mean, maybe they'll be able to go on to Walmart or Amazon and buy some more stuff, but if they don't have anything to sell because there's a supply chain bottled up because of China, what are they gonna buy? I mean, just prices are gonna go up. So these stimulus checks aren't gonna do anything, just like they didn't do anything uh, to head off the recession that we had in 2008. And I remember saying that. I remember being on television, being on Fox, on those shows that they used to have, or they still have them on Saturday mornings, where I was saying no stimulus checks aren't going to do anything. And then people were laughing at me. And the stimulus checks didn't do anything. They sent those checks out before, uh, you know, 2008. They were out in 2007. And they didn't do anything. And they wouldn't do anything now. But they're not even going to get them. Now, 
they are relying completely on on the Fed. Oh, before I forget, you know, my my the segment that I taped with Tucker Carlson uh, on the Fed still hasn't aired. But I did go on Fox News live yesterday in the 6 p.m. Eastern hour. Uh, my segment got cut short a little bit because of the uh, dropping out of uh, Buttigieg, Mayor Pete, uh, from the Democratic race. And I'm going to get to the politics a little later in the podcast. But that announcement came out while I was sitting in my chair uh, way to talk about the economy. So they kept bumping me back. I was afraid they were just going to end up cutting my segment. Instead, they just shortened it a bit, but I still made it on the Fox News. So it's the first time I've been on there. We're going to find the clip and put it up on my YouTube channel. So if you didn't get a chance to watch live, you'll be able to see it on, on my YouTube channel. But um, everybody now is talking about the Fed and the central bank, and not just the Fed. In fact, though, if you look at the Fed funds futures markets, the markets are pricing in a 50 basis point cut like right now. In fact, there were a lot of people that thought the Fed was going to cut rates over the weekend, like Sunday night or early this morning before the markets open. Now, I suppose they're waiting for a cut, uh, you know, now. I mean, maybe they're going to cut rates while I'm recording this podcast. Who knows? But everybody is expecting it. The meeting for March is not until I think the 18th or the 19th. At a minimum, that's when the Fed is going to deliver the rate cut 50 basis points now, not 25. Nobody is thinking it's going to be 25. Everybody thinks it's going to be at least 50 and then more to come. I think by the middle of the year, uh, most people are looking for 75 to 100 basis points of rate cuts, which means we'll be back down to about a half of 1%, pretty close to zero. Now, they could come out and they could cut tomorrow, or maybe they're going to wait until the actual meeting. I think it probably depends on what the market is doing. I mean, if the market keeps rallying, they could keep waiting. But I think if the market is tired of waiting and they want to see some action, well, then it may bring the, the Fed into move rates prior to that meeting. But I think they're definitely going to move rates, right? If they don't do it before the meeting, they're going to do it because the market expects it. The market is betting that that's what the Fed is going to do. And the Federal Reserve has a history of giving the markets what they want. And, and they don't want to disappoint the markets because if they do, well, then they're going to tank. But just because the markets are leading the Fed, it doesn't mean the Fed is following the markets. The markets are simply knowing what the Fed is going to do and they're beating the Fed to the punch. But this is not the right thing. The last thing that the Fed should be doing now is creating more money. I mean, that's how we got into this problem. We created so much money in the past, we kept interest rates so artificially low that we inflated a bubble economy that is so susceptible to any type of downturn like the coronavirus. And instead of learning from our past mistakes, we're repeating them. But again, it's not just the Fed. Because the reason that we had this big rally today is last night, the Bank of Japan, they came out and said they're going to do something. The ECB is going to do something. We even had the IMF and the International Monetary Fund coming out today, and they're going to do something. What can they do? All these entities can do is create inflation. They can expand money supply, but that doesn't produce any more goods, and it doesn't cure the coronavirus. It doesn't change any of the fundamentals. In fact, because the bond market is still on the lows, investors know that and think investors probably assume that we're going to have a recession, but they don't even care. 
It doesn't matter to investors what happens to the economy. It doesn't matter what happens to corporate earnings because all they're thinking about is the Fed. As long as the Fed or other central banks are printing money, who cares what happens to the economy? We all know from past experience that that money is gonna go into financial assets. So that's what's happening. But how does making a stock market bubble bigger do anything about solving the underlying economic issues. It doesn't, so why do it? Well, I guess the reason is because that's the only thing the Fed can do, or any of the central banks. They have one tool, and so they're gonna use it even if it doesn't work. But investors are assuming that it will work to the extent that it will lift asset prices. That assumption may be wrong because I think the ability of central banks to target inflation to financial assets could be coming to an end. And this coronavirus, if in fact it does disrupt the supply chains, can bring that end uh, sooner rather than later. And so what ends up happening this time around is all this new money printing, all this new easing ends up going into commodities. It ends up going into consumer prices. It doesn't make a stock market bubble bigger. The stock market bubble deflates anyway, and the monetary policy starts inflating the cost of living rather than uh, the assets uh, that people are living on. Now, gold had a bit of a bounce back today, not much from a shellacking that it took on Friday, kind of unexpected. Gold was down about $70 an ounce at one point. I think it settled down about uh, $50 or so. That was a 4% move in one day in the price of gold. And that was really the first real down day. I mean, the day before on Thursday, it was kind of unchanged, but the damage really happened on Friday. Now, I pointed out when I did the podcast on Thursday that the gold stocks were very, very weak on Thursday, even though the price of gold was not down. Well, the price of gold went down on Friday and this gold stocks got crushed again, much bigger. In fact, on the week, I think the GDX was down about 20% on the week. Even though gold was only really down about 4% on the week, the entire decline was on the last day of the week. But gold stocks had been anticipating that decline earlier in the week. And then when they finally got the decline, it wasn't like they bought, uh, they sold the rumor and bought the fact. They sold the rumor and then they sold the fact again. And so we got, gold stocks got absolutely crushed. And there were people who were saying, I was looking at some of the comments, say, why didn't you do a podcast on Friday? You know, because gold stocks were down so much. I wanted to do a podcast specifically to talk about gold stocks. I just didn't have time. I got busy with a lot of other things and I knew I had done one on Thursday. So I wasn't able to do a podcast on Friday to talk about that opportunity uh, to buy gold stocks. And even though gold stocks gained about maybe half of what they lost, I mean, they were up four or 5% today. They were down like eight, nine, 10%, depending on the stock on Friday. This sale is going on. I mean, the, the, the thing that has driven the market, this recovery is 100% driven by central banks and monetary policy, which means it's all based on inflation. It's based on money printing and cheap money. And that policy is far better for gold and gold stocks than it is for an economy and the general stock markets. So that's what investors need to be buying. I mean, gold right now is about 1590. We're about $100 off the highs. That's what we got up to. We got up to about 1690 and now we've pulled back 
But the bull market is alive and well, and that 4% drop, again, that was to shake out some of the weaker longs. Remember, some the, the biggest declines are in bull markets, and the biggest rallies are in bear markets. Well, gold is in a bull market, and so we have sharp declines like that 4% drop. Now, I know a lot of the people in the in the Bitcoin community were really excited to see gold drop 4%. They really wanted to shove it in my face. There's a lot of articles now, you can read them out there, about how, oh, gold's not a safe haven either. Gold's not a store of value. Look, gold went down 4%, so I guess gold doesn't work either. So, you know, how about Bitcoin? Well, first of all, gold has historically had days where it's down 4%. They're very rare. They happen maybe once every few years, right? They happen, but very infrequently. But it is possible uh, to see the price of gold drop 4% in one day. It's just not very likely, and it doesn't happen very often. But Bitcoin, I mean, Bitcoin prices go down 4% pretty much all the time. I mean, there are days where it goes down a lot more than 4%. I have seen Bitcoin down 10%, 15% in an individual day. So the volatility that you have in Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies is extreme. And just because occasionally we have higher volatility in gold doesn't mean it's not a safe haven or a store of value, although nothing is a safe haven or store value on a day-to-day basis. And obviously the shorter the time horizon, I mean, what about every hour or every minute? Yes, gold can fluctuate. The safe haven, the store of value, does not guarantee that every day you own the asset it's going to go up. It's a safe haven and a store of value over time, right? It's a slow trend. And within a trend, there's gonna be days where gold's gonna go down and there are gonna be days where gold's gonna go up. But if central banks are debasing their money, which they're going to do, and if the rate of that debasement is going to accelerate over time, well, then gold is going to keep you whole. It's going to help you preserve your purchasing power. And so since we know the trajectory that central banks are on, uh, we know the trajectory that gold's going to be on. But that doesn't mean that gold's never going to go down. But when it does go down, especially when it's down 4% in one day, it is a good opportunity to buy. And it's an even better opportunity to buy gold stocks when they're down 20% in one week. And, you know, obviously these gold stocks had a worse week than non-gold stocks, but I think they will recover. I think the gold stocks will make new highs. The GDX and the GDXJ will make new highs before the S&P or the Dow. In fact, the S&P or the Dow may not make a new high at least not for a long time, and it'll just be inflation uh, that causes the new high. But I think in the short run, we're going to see new highs in gold stocks before we see new highs in the S&P or the overall market. So this is just a better opportunity for people to buy even more mining stocks because what the central banks are doing, and whether they actually follow through with it or not, I mean, some of it could just be talking it up, right? The The central banks may not actually act Uh, but they're just trying to get some cheap stimulus by talking and not actually acting. But I'm sure the Fed will come up to the plate uh, and act. In fact, you know, we're the central bank that has the most to go as far as, you know, how much we can cut rates, you know, to get to zero. And I think that's the reason that the U.S. dollar has been so weak. In fact, this was the weakest day I've seen in quite some time. Intraday, we were almost down a full 1%. We closed down, I think, 54 basis points, 97 59 on the dollar index. You know, the dollar index was down again today. We almost got below 97. I think the low 
that I saw was about 97, 18 or something like that. So we're in a pretty sizable downtrend now in the US dollar, it's kind of falling across the board. And this is because of the anticipation of the ease, right? The, the rate cuts and additional quantitative easing that is going to happen in the United States. So if this continues, and I've been saying this, this is going to substantially increase the appeal of investing outside the United States and substantially diminish the appeal of investing in the United States because whatever nominal gains you make in dollars will be eroded away in terms of whatever currency you're investing from if you're a foreign investor. And so that should keep money out of U.S. stocks and out of U.S. bonds uh, and into overseas assets. But that's going to put the Fed in as an even bigger player uh, in the bond market, having to do even more QE, create even more inflation, which again is throwing gasoline on the fire that they lit. But I don't think today's action was entirely central bank related. I'd say it's probably 70 or 80 percent central bank related. I think the other factor that I think was probably giving some investors comfort is the diminished probability that Bernie Sanders is going to be the Democratic nominee. Because going into uh, the election over the weekend, the um, South Carolina primary, uh, Bernie Sanders, you know, kind of looked almost like a shoe in. But now the, the, the deck seems to be changing a bit as a result of the latest dropouts. If you didn't hear the news, first of all, uh, Joe Biden won a decisive victory in South Carolina. He got about half the vote, maybe just under. The only other person to get any delegates was Bernie Sanders, who finished in a, in a distant second in South Carolina. But following that event, uh, you had Steyer dropout, who spent a lot of money in South Carolina to come in third. And again, a very, very distant third. But then Buttigieg dropped out. I think he, he was in fourth place. And now the last one to drop out today is Klobuchar. And she is dropping out and is now officially endorsing uh, Joe Biden. So probably most of the people who would have voted for her uh, will vote for Biden. I mean, maybe a few could go to Warren if there are people just voting for a woman. Elizabeth Warren is the only woman left in the race, although she's kind of uh, a non-factor. I mean, maybe she'll take a few votes away from Bernie Sanders. Uh, but I think she also pulls some maybe from Biden. I doubt she's taking any from Bloomberg. But the field is now Sanders, Bloomberg, Biden, and Warren. So if you assume Warren is kind of a non-event, even if Sanders continues with his 20, 25, 30% uh, support, you're gonna have Bloomberg and Biden splitting up uh, you know, the majority of the Democratic uh, support. And so even if Sanders ends up winning most of these primaries, if Bloomberg and Biden, between the two of them, pick up enough delegates to deny Sanders a majority, well, then they're going to have the delegates at the convention uh, to win at a brokered convention. And my guess would be that maybe they'll put Biden on the top of the ticket. It's possible they could put Bloomberg as a number two guy uh, to be VP. And in fact, when he's on the ticket, it's even easier for him to spend money on the campaign because you can spend as much money as you want if you're on the ticket. If you're not on the ticket, then you can't coordinate with the campaign. You can still spend on behalf, but you can't coordinate. But if he's actually on the ticket, he can do all the coordination he wants. Although I think there are other people talking, maybe it'll be Hillary Clinton. 
But I think uh, Biden, uh, Biden Bloomberg might be a pretty strong ticket. I mean, people are saying maybe Klobuchar, you know, for endorsing him or maybe Buttigieg, who hasn't really endorsed anybody. I don't see the benefit of putting Buttigieg on a ticket. I mean, maybe Klobuchar wouldn't be a bad choice for VP. Just just thinking about it. Um, but obviously, the odds of uh, Sanders gaining the nomination have diminished somewhat. And I think that that is bullish for the market. Except if you then follow it to its logical conclusion, if the markets just assumed that Sanders would lose in the general election if he got the nomination, but they were just kind of pricing the market, you know, as a long shot. Oh, my God, it would be a disaster that he won. But it's so slim. But, you know, we have to price in that probability, however, so slight, because if he does win, it's catastrophic. And if the initial reaction is, okay, we, we don't have to price in that low probability catastrophic event, I do think that most people would concede that if a Biden is the nominee, that chances of Trump losing are much greater. And if Biden wins, that is bad for stocks, right? Biden is going to raise the corporate tax rate. Biden is going to raise the individual marginal tax rate. Biden is going to add a lot more regulations than Donald Trump would add. Biden is going to do a lot of bad things uh, that maybe Trump wouldn't have done and maybe some bad things that Trump would have done. But he's certainly bad for a stock market that is already overvalued anyway. So to the extent that it looks more likely that Biden is going to be the nominee, it might actually be worse for the stock market because the stock market will have to build in a higher probability that Biden wins. And if the reason the stock market is supposedly so high is because of Donald Trump, in fact, Donald Trump himself is saying that if he loses, the market's going to crash. It doesn't matter who he loses to. He's saying that if I am not the president, if any of these Democrats beat me, including Bloomberg, right? The stock market's going to crash. (laughs) So if that's true, and obviously, I mean, it's not true because Trump thinks it's true, but the market should crash because it's a bubble, right? And it may have already popped. I mean, it certainly looks like it has to be. And so I think that as time goes on, the markets are going to begin to worry about that, that it doesn't matter. Hey, if it's going to be Biden, then there's even better chance that Trump's not going to have a second term. And in fact, if the U.S. economy goes into recession, which the stock market seems to be pricing in, after all, the market is rallying despite bond yields holding to record lows on the assumption that the Fed is cutting because of how weak the economy is. So if the markets are right that we are headed to recession, well, that reduces the chances of Trump winning because his whole campaign is going to be based on how great the economy is. Well, if the economy is in recession, how is he able to claim that it's so great? Now, I know a lot of people will say, well, he'll be able to say it's because of the coronavirus. Well, you know what? If we really had a great economy, if the economy was as healthy as Trump claimed, you know, the coronavirus wouldn't make it that sick. The reason 
that the economy is so vulnerable is because it was never healthy in the first place. It was so susceptible to any kind of small problem. And that's the case that Biden or Bloomberg or anybody would be able to make or Sanders against Trump is that he was lying all the time. He was overestimating the strength of the economy, that the economy was a bubble and uh, the coronavirus was just a pin. But the problem was we never had a real economy. We had a bubble. And so Trump was bragging about nothing, that it was just the Federal Reserve and the central banks that had inflated this bubble. And he was trying to claim credit for it by pretending that a bubble was actual economic growth uh, when it was not. So I think he's going to have a hard time getting reelected if we're in recession. And if we are in recession, I don't think the easing that we're getting is enough to overcome that and the market should be declining between now and the election. And we could easily be in bear market territory. You know, right now it's, you know, just the transports, but the rest of the market, especially if the Fed gives the market the rate cuts and it doesn't work. If by the time we actually get the cuts that have already been factored into the market, we get to buy the rumor, sell the fact on that. But the dollar keeps falling and consumer prices keep rising and then we get stagflation. Anyway, we'll have a little bit more clarity too uh, tomorrow because tomorrow is Super Tuesday, right? And that's when you have the big states come in. You know, you got Texas, you got California. Now, apparently Sanders is leading. He's leading in Texas, but not with a majority. He's just winning the, you know, the most of the, the four remaining candidates. And I think the same thing is true of California. So we'll see how this race shakes out. You know, maybe uh, Warren will drop out after Super Tuesday if she doesn't capture any delegates. But if she does, I mean, maybe she'll stay in because she thinks she can make deals with some of the delegates she picks up. Maybe she'll be able to finagle her way onto the ticket. I mean, clearly, if Sanders is there, I mean, if she could combine with Sanders, if she has enough to put him over the edge, which I doubt. Uh, but if she could be the kingmaker, maybe she puts herself on a, a Warren Sanders ticket. I mean, maybe she tries to get onto a, a, a Bloomberg ticket. I mean, there's still people that think Hillary Clinton is going to come out from the woodwork and, and be the nominee. But look, I, I think that as bad as people think Joe Biden is, I think Joe Biden has a better chance of beating Trump than Hillary Clinton. I mean, you know, so I, I think it would be a mistake from the Democratic perspective uh, to to nominate Hillary. And so they probably won't do it. Uh, but I don't think she would do as much damage as as the VP at the bottom of the ticket as she would uh, on the top of the ticket. But I want to just circle back before I uh, conclude this podcast and talk a little bit more about the big drop in the price of gold on Friday. Because, you know, again, a lot of people I see they've been asking questions, uh, you know, online or I've got some emails, you know, hey, why did gold go down so much on Friday? I mean, what caused this big drop in the price of gold. And you know, markets are volatile and they are subject to swings in prices. Uh, I don't know what it was that triggered that $70 drop. I mean, gold had been going up, right? It, we, we had been making new high after new high after new high. Now there were solid fundamental reasons for those new highs, but nothing goes up in a straight line and if something is making new highs, it's going to correct. I mean, that's why they call it a correction. And gold had a correction. And I'm sure that people got shaken out of the market. I mean, some people might have joined the party recently, uh, jumped on to some positions, leverage. I'm not talking about guys that are going to shift gold and buying some maple leaves, right, or some U.S. eagles. I'm talking about futures traders, options traders, 
who are betting large amounts of money and who are trading with stops and things like that. And so some of that momentum money likely came in and, and got burned. And there was probably some people that tried to get short the market, that tried to profit on the downside because they saw a market that had gone up, 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 and they said, okay, well, let's sell it because we'll, we'll try to profit when it goes down. Now, one of the interesting relationships I think that was going on is on Friday, we had a 2% move up in the Japanese yen. Very, very big move in the yen. Uh, you know, not uh, necessarily the other currencies, not moving nearly as much as the yen. And, you know, for the last, I don't know how many years, but the Japanese yen and the price of gold have been very closely correlated with one another. Meaning that generally when the yen is rising, gold is rising. Uh, when the yen is falling, gold is falling. Now, both of these assets are seen as safe haven assets, as assets that you buy when you're worried about things. So it kind of made sense uh, that they were moving in the same direction. Although ultimately, I think gold is going to take off in terms of yen because they're printing a lot of money in Japan. They've got a lot of debt in Japan. There's a monetary reckoning coming from Japan, coming for Japan rather, just like it's coming for the ECB. I just think it's coming greater uh, for the United States. So one day I think gold is gonna break away from the yen and gold's just gonna keep going up. But what had been happening recently is gold was making a series of all-time record highs in terms of the yen. So the price of gold was rising and the yen was not. And so you were getting record high after record high. And maybe that distance between the yen price of gold, right, and the yen got so wide and it sparked some yen-related gold selling, which is why you saw that big move up in the yen at the same time you saw a big move down in the price of gold. And all of this technical noise creates opportunities for people who are accumulating gold to buy at a better price. After all, at one point a week ago, gold got as high as 1690, but now you can buy it for 1590. And I'd rather buy gold for 1590 than 1690. So to the extent that you wanted to buy some gold, the fact that some yen related gold trading resulted in a sharp correction in this bull market that gives you a chance to increase your position or establish your position. That was not the high. 1690 is not the high of this bull market. We're gonna take out the all-time record high, which was, what, around 1900. So that's still a few hundred dollars higher in the price of gold. But I think we're gonna shatter that record. I think the fundamentals for gold have never been better than they are right now. And that means the fundamentals for gold stocks have never been better. And the fact that these stocks got beaten up so quickly, the fact that investors were so willing to sell gold stocks on a Friday for 20% less than they were paying for those stocks on a Monday, to me, that is a good sign. That is a sign that people are still worried, they're fearful, right? They're skeptical of the rally and they're, they're selling at the first sign of trouble. That is not indicative of a market top, of euphoria, of excitement. It's the complete opposite of that. Investors still don't realize what's going on here. They still haven't connected all the dots to figure out what the picture looks like. 